0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Casual Criminalist. As always, I am your host, Simon, and in this one today, I believe this is actually a recommendation from one of our viewers. Uh, I think it came in on YouTube, maybe by Twitter. If you want to suggest something for us to cover on the future, at the can- in the future, on the Casual Criminalist, well, I am at Simon Whistler on Twitter. And I think also on Instagram, but don't reach out to me on Instagram because I never check it. Twitter is the place to find me. This is Tamara Samsonova, the granny ripper. Uh, I'm imagining. I think I looked into this super briefly after I saw the suggestion, just to make sure it was something that I wanted to cover. And uh, I believe it's to do with an old age serial killer. So uh, that's what we've got for you today. As always, what happens on this show is Callum has written me a script. It's a big one. I'm going to go through and read it. As always, I've not read this before. I am on a journey of discovery with you. And let's just jump into it, shall we? I'm going to add comments as I feel, that sort of thing. If If you're new here, this is useful. If you're not, well, you know, welcome back. Russians are made of tougher stuff than most i've seen the dash cam baseball bat duels to prove it oh my god the rush! i think it's also just because russians seem to have a lot more dash cams i have no idea why but like they everyone has a dash cam in russia russia apparently and i've seen some insane videos from those dash cams there was one there was a guy he was just cycling along and a car was traveling too close to him so when they get to the the traffic lights the guy the cyclist and the, the driver was being a dick i mean so deserved maybe but he just drags the driver out of the car, the cyclist drags the driver out of the car, and just starts slamming the door against his legs. (laughs) It's like, oh, dude. I'm not, this might have been an overreaction. Although it's generally a lovely place to visit, plenty of Westerners still see Mother Russia as a strange and menacing land to be avoided at all costs, and they don't always have to look hard for stories to reinforce the stereotypes. I've never been to Russia. I guess Callum's been. I've been to Ukraine, which is fairly close to Russia, um, but that—that's—and they speak Russian and also Ukrainian, I believe. I feel like I should know that, (laughs) Uh, but it was very nice. Some of the crime stories out of Russia really push the limits in terms of brutality and bizarreness. That's the kind of case I have for you today. A recent story out of St. Petersburg, the city which served as the backdrop for crime and punishment. But this particular narrative is a bit too dismal even for Dostoevsky. Oh my, this is going to get dark then. At the center of it is one of the most unlikely criminals you're ever likely to come across. An elderly Russian granny and not the cheery Eurovision song contest kinds i i don't think i've ever seen the eurovision song contest and i'm very maybe when i was very young But I'm generally glad that, I mean, who cares? How is this still a thing? Let's move on. Rather than spending her days down the bingo, this mature murderer had some far darker interests to keep her busy during retirement. And if the suspected death toll is to be believed, she was a very busy woman indeed. This is the story of the so-called Granny Ripper, a septuagenarian Slavic slayer that'll have you picking up the pace every time you walk past a retirement home from now on. Husband's Disappearance in the year 2000, St. Petersburg police were called to investigate a missing person report. A man named Alexei Samsonova had disappeared from the apartment on Dimitrova Street, which he shared with his wife, Tamara. The distraught Tamara told the police there was a chance Alexei may have run off with another woman, although see, she couldn't say for sure. Whatever the case, she must have been devastated. The two had been married for around 30 years. Tamara had met Alexei when she first moved to St. Petersburg after graduating from Moscow State Linguistic University in the late 1960s. The lovebirds soon Settled down together in a new apartment block, he began to work in a car repair plant while she found work in the tourism industry. First at a travel agency, then at the Grand Hotel Europe. Now retired at the age of 53, she was looking at the prospect of spending her twilight years alone in her aging apartment. It would just be a tragic little story. If it were to end there, but please withhold your sympathies to the end. Yeah, this would be the most boring episode of The Casual Criminalist ever. And it's like, and then she retired and lived happily ever after. She definitely didn't brutally murder her husband, Alexei. She probably did. I'm just joking. Let's carry on. Life After Loss To fill in the silence left behind after her husband went missing, Samsonova decided to take on a lodger. Oh wait, maybe maybe the husband did just leave, and that turns her into a serial killer. Oh my, here we go. She invited a man named Vladimir. I, I feel this is the most classic Russian name ever to come and live with her in the summer of 2001, and the two became close. However, after a falling out near the end of the year. Took off. In 2003, she finally found a longer term lodger. This was a man in his early 40s named Sergei Potanin from the distant northern city of Norilsk. I really feel like this is just stereotypical Russian names. Her first lodger was called Vladimir, her second lodger was called Sergei. The two had the odd falling out during his tenancy, partly because Samsonova wasn't exactly the most easy person to live with. She was a strict, and volatile audible, sensitive to any perceived slight from her housemate. Her neighbors said that she would often swear at them in the hallways and bang on the radiators. Sergei must have grown pretty sick of it all because one day he apparently decided to up sticks, taking off abruptly in 2003. Without any relatives in the city, nobody could figure out where he had gone off to. Most assumed he had made an abrupt return to Norilsk and left it at that. Oh, is she killing them all? These guys are not just like leaving, she's… she's… she's getting rid of them, right? So life went on for Samsonova, just as it did after the last man in her life unexpectedly disappeared. She continued to host lodges on and off throughout the years with mixed success. They were typically men, younger than her by at least a few years. They came and went over the next decade, with Tamara enjoying a relatively comfortable retirement from the income and arrangements generated. Then, by 2015, she once again found herself living alone. In March of that year, her apartment was due for renovations, and so a mutual acquaintance put her in contact with Valentina Nikolaevna Ulanova, a 79-year-old who lived on the same street. Samsonova was in need of a place to stay during the renovations, so she worked out a deal with the ailing Ulanova to stay at her place in exchange for doing chores around the house. Samsonova was now well into her 60s, and age had done nothing to dull her stubbornness after getting comfortable In ulanova's apartment for several months she decided she wasn't all that interested in leaving just like your mate who comes over on friday night and is still sleeping on your couch on sunday she tested the patience of her host to the extreme yeah that is the worst situation i've had this and it's like oh please leave and it's like please get out of my house i have things to do Eventually, Ulanova decided she'd had enough. The two women had been arguing all day, and the older of the two just didn't have enough days left on Earth to be spending them bickering, so she asked Samsonova to kindly GTFO or whatever the acronym would be in Russian. Poisoning Samsonova was upset about the prospect of going back to her empty apartment. So she took matters into her own hands. After setting things straight with her host, she continued going about her business as usual. We can actually see video footage of her online taking out the bins on that summer night of 2015. In the footage, Samsonova stands by the apartment building door in a baby blue raincoat looking like every other old deer running out to grab some milk and eggs. She must have bought a hell of a lot, though, because the bag she was dragging around in the clip looks heavy. Is there a body in the bag, or part of a body? Uh Uh-oh. As it turns out, if any good Samaritan had tried to help this little old lady carry her bags that night, they'd have inadvertently become an accessory to murder. Yes, inside that plastic bag was Mrs. Ulanova, or should I say, parts of her. In case it's not clear enough already, she was dead. Callum, when you say that her body parts are inside a bag, I'm assuming she didn't just surgically remove, like, her arm, put that in the bag, and then, you know, made sure that she carried on living. So, how in hell does a bit of a domestic disagreement end like that? Well, the final straw in the whole thing turned out to be an argument over whose turn it was to wash the teacups. I remember that kind of crisis happening in my uni flat share, but it only went as far as a passive-aggressive post-it note. Oh, in my uni house, it went like, who's who's left this stuff here? And then no one would clear it up. And it'd be like, well, I guess we'll just throw this cup away because it's now covered in mould. <laughs> That wasn't exactly Samsonova's style, though. On July 14th, 2015, she traveled to the city of Pushkin to visit the pharmacy. She needed a pretty conspicuous dose of the prescription drug Phenazepam, a Russian-made schizophrenia pill, which some casual connoisseurs abuse as a kind of muscle relaxant. Somehow she was able to convince the pharmacist to sell it to her over-the-counter, and she returned home, picking up an Olive, uh, Olivier salad on the way. This was Ulanova's favourite dish and the perfect peace offering after another big domestic bust up. That's how it must have seemed to the older of the two pensioners, anyway. She's probably poisoned that salad, or maybe she's using that drug on it. But also, more importantly, how do you persuade a pharmacist to give you drugs? I mean, I, I know it's Russia. But still, you need a prescription from a doctor, right? They can't just be handing out the drugs. Rather than helping the poor old deer into bed, Samsonova did the next best thing. She started cutting her apart with a hacksaw. Oh my god. (laughs) Hold on, that's about the worst possible thing she could have done. The details coming up next are pretty awful, so consider this fair warning. Yes, maybe this one gets the explicit rating. I mean, although Callum, I felt like we could have done with the warning before we described her getting cut up with a hacksaw, although I get the feeling it's just going to get worse. Using the hacksaw, Samsonova removed the limbs, cut the torso of a victim in two, and then used two kitchen knives to separate it all into smaller pieces. Gruesomely, it's thought that Ulanova was still breathing at the start of the horrific process. Oh God! Further CCTV footage reveals Samsonova are walking up and down the stairs of the apartment block over and over to dispose of the bags of body parts, which must have been hell on her knees. The poor old dear. I really have to impress on you the bizarreness of watching her do this, looking like the stereotypical Russian grandmother in her babushka hairscarf and all—hardly the typical look of a killer. The final leg of her horrific workout saw Sam the final leg. <laughs> saw Samson over carrying a large saucepan downstairs instead of a bin bag. To paraphrase Brad Pitt in Seven, "What's in the pot?" Had she not covered the top with a lid, you'd have been able to see the answer for yourself. It was the severed head of Ulanova. Why couldn't you use a bag? Did you run out of bags? This is so grim. Kids, the next time your granny asks you to wash the dishes, wash the fucking dishes. Investigation and arrest. It would be another few days before anyone on Dmitrova street had any inclination that something horrible had happened in their neighborhood. A young couple down the street went out walking on the 27th with their dog when it started acting strangely. As they passed by a pond, a dog stopped and dragged them towards something dumped among the bushes by the banks, a shower curtain wrapped around something. When they peeled back the plastic, they were confronted with a heap of disfigured human remains, the heaped pieces of a torso. That's the sort of image you probably don't soon forget. Yeah, no, you definitely wouldn't forget that. Also, this seems like a terrible, you just, did you just throw the body away in a park wrapped in a shower curtain? Oh, I mean, I know on Casual Criminals, people, (laughs) I'm often like, guys, can you do your crimes better, please? I mean, it is just a little bit disappointing when people, I mean, come on, come on, you could at least try. It was like the guy, was this a, was this a Casual Criminals video where a guy robbed a store with a, he was just wearing a plastic bag on his head, but just a clear plastic bag. It's like, come on. Get a balaclava or something. It's probably like three dollars. The couple called the police, who canvassed the local residents to find out if anyone had seen anything suspicious in the area or if any residents weren't accounted for. That this was the only way to get a reliable ID on the remains, given the absence of a head or even fingers. Of course, they discovered that old Valentina Nikolaevna, oh god, something, Ulanova hadn't been seen recently, while her tenant had been spotted doing some late-night garbage disposal not too long ago. Satisfied that the body was Ulanova, investigators went to search the deceased's apartment where her lodger and caretaker were still living. Again, guys, do your crimes better. You're the most likely, light- you're the first person they're gonna ask and you threw the body away in a park. Come on! Given what you know about dear old Samsonova, you might be expecting her to confront the police hatchet in hand, but on the contrary, she was actually bizarrely polite and mild-mannered when they knocked on the door. When she led them into Ulanova's place, they found traces of the victim's blood splattered around the bathroom and kitchen, which tends to happen when you carve up a body, and the shower curtain had been ripped off its fittings. You're a terrible criminal. When pushed to explain the incriminating scene, Samsonova calmly told the cops that Ulanova had insulted her, so she was forced to end her life. She had been scared to go back to her own house and acted accordingly. With this matter-of-fact confession, the initial mystery was solved. However, the police just opened a can of worms that would lead to a massive investigation that is still going on to this day. Okay, so I'm going to assume, I don't know, like I said, I don't read these before, that Samsonova was killing the tenants in her apartment previously. But if she is such a terrible criminal and just hid the body in a park and then like confessed to it, I mean, maybe she just decided enough was enough. But it's like, how do you get away with it for so long when you're so bad at crime? (laughs) Samsonova maintained her relatively relaxed demeanor throughout the whole affair. After first being arrested, she threw out a flurry of wild red herrings to the cops, but soon calmed down, speaking calmly and candidly about her crimes. It seems like she did just decide that I'm done with hiding or being on the run or whatever, so I'm just going to confess to it all. And I guess by that point, you've like you've already come to terms with it. On July the twenty-ninth, she sat in a windowed pen at the frenzy district court of St. Petersburg. Apologies for my Russian pronunciation there, wearing a red sweater, red hair, and a messy perm. She cut a fragile, non-threatening figure, an image completely at odds with the crimes which she was brought in for. This was her first hearing after being detained. A small event and not particularly long. When pushed for her version of events, Mrs. Samsonova had no problem admitting to the murder of her friends, and actually expressed a bit of relief that the whole affair was over. When reporters got a chance to photograph her, she blew them a kiss and said, ''I knew you would come. It's such a disgrace for me. All the city will know.'' From the tone, you'd think that she was talking about missing a church meeting or having a bust-up with Ethel down at the bingo. Maybe they would, Maybe it wouldn't be Ethel, it would be something more Russian. Ethel seems super British name. Towards the end of the hearing, the judge asked her, ''I'm asked to arrest you. What do you think?'' She told him, You decide, Your Honor. After all, I am guilty, and I deserve a punishment. He ordered Samson over to be held in custody for the duration of the investigation, to which she smiled earnestly and gave a little burst of applause. This is... <laughs> she really has come to terms with it, hasn't she? She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's time. It's time. This must have been one of the most compliant suspects that the St. Petersburg judicial system has ever dealt with. She even went back to her apartment with the officers to reenact how she had cut up the body of Ulanova, which seems just a little bit unnecessary, to be honest. Using a creepy orange dummy in place of the victim, she displayed the exact order in which she took apart the body, starting with the head. She told them how she wrapped up each piece in parts of the shower curtain before packing them into plastic bags seen in the video. She's confessed Do we really need to take her to the apartment and ever carve up a dummy body? It's like. She did it. We know she did it. There's enough evidence. Do we really need to do this, guys? But I'm glad they did because it makes for a good story here on The Casual Criminalist. She was forced to abandon the heaviest parts, the he- legs and hips, in the backyard. The rest she dumped in the Frasensky district. Samson then showed officers how she had taken Ulanova's head and boiled it in the saucepan in an attempt to hide her identity. Oh, that is grim. Oh, sorry, did you think the saucepan was just for transportation? No, this story is far madder than that. You should know that by now. Yeah, I should have guessed, shouldn't I? That is, that is grim. That is grim. The killer, but that does seem like a smart crime move. Like, that seems a lot smarter than her other crime moves. The killer did the same with the victim's hands in an attempt to hide the fingerprints and then set about scattering the pieces around the neighborhood as best she could. I guess she's not heard of DNA, and I mean, even if this woman doesn't have the DNA on profile, they're gonna sample her DNA, and then when that uh, other woman goes missing from her apartment, they could get some, like, DNA off her hairbrush or whatever and compare it, and then they would know. Anyway, of course, the old deer was no spring chicken, so it was taking a while to properly get rid of the evidence, giving the police plenty of time to catch her. Interestingly, she never did disclose where the head and internal organs were hidden. Oh god, she took the internal organs out? What is going on? A neighbor suspected that she may have disposed of them in the communal rubbish bins which would have been collected and taken to landfill before any alarms were raised, but we'll never know for sure. Well, so actually disposing of the stuff in the bin? Of the apartment was actually better than trying to hide it wrapped in a shower curtain in the park i would think like that'd be a terrible place to dispose of body parts But, uh, I guess I would be a terrible criminal, the more you know. Although Sampsonova hadn't done a good job of covering her tracks this time, in her younger days, she'd have been able to get rid of the body without arousing any suspicion at all. And that's not just speculation on my part. See, the arrest of Sampsonova was just the beginning. When the police searched her house, they found a bizarre, scrawly diary written in Russian, German, and English. Alongside mundane details about her eating habits and daily chores, it also spoke in painstaking detail about a career of a murderous terror, stretching back decades. As it turned out, this old lady had more skeletons in her closet than anyone could have possibly guessed. Well, that's pretty grim, right? It's like, yeah, 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 had tea, ate a scone, murdered my lodger, cut his hands off, boiled them in a pan. Oh my god. Bolanova was far from her first victim. Actually, it seemed like the departed old dear was almost away for Samsonova to finally bring an end to her decade-long spree. One last murder which she knew she couldn't get away with just to finally be done with it all. In a later court appearance, she is quoted as saying, "...I was getting ready for this court action for dozens of years. It was all done deliberately. There is no way to live." With this last murder... I closed the chapter. The police, however, were just beginning to open the book on one of Russia's most gruesome true crime stories. The deeper they dug into Samsonova's life, the more bizarre, unsettling details would come to light. Once you're all filled in, you won't look at those old biddies down the post office the same ever again. <laughs> well, I don't think statistically, old grandmas are the biggest murderers. It's, it's got to be young men, right? Young men are got to be the biggest killers. I, I, I'd guess like thirties, forties. That's got to be a prime murdering age, right? Her Dark Inspirations Each grisly new detail provided fresh fodder for the tabloids. In the UK, some hack at the Sun newspaper dubbed her the Granny Ripper, which sounds more like someone who murders elderly ladies rather than the other way round, but far be it from me to criticise such top-tier journalists. If you're international and listening and not familiar with what the Sun is, it's a, it's a, a, a fairly fairly low-brow tabloid newspaper in the UK. And by fairly, I mean very. Much of the fascination came from the fact that such a mild-mannered old lady could be secretly capable of such horrific crimes. So before we look at how many victims Samson claimed, let's first interrogate her motives. How exactly does a perfectly normal St. Petersburg housewife turn into the sort of person who chops up corpses? Well, as you might have already guessed, there was certainly some severe mental illness at work. Back in the courtroom, she told reporters, I'm haunted by a maniac upstairs who forced me to kill. Oh, she was on schizophrenic medication, right? So this is you know Something's not right with her, and that does sound pretty schizophrenic. When she moved in with Ulanova, she realized that these voices in her head quietened down, which is why she was in such a panic at the thought of having to leave. The story about the renovations had been just made up so that she could get out of her home in the first place. So violent schizophrenia seems to have formed the basis for her series of bloody misdeeds. But the killer granny also augmented her delusions with a healthy amount of reading. I'm not talking about Agatha Christie novels. Samsonova's tastes were a little more niche. Oh, God, what's she going to be in? Well, let's find out. Black Magic Well, we found out, there we go, that was easy. As if only to cement her place as the most black metal granny of all time, Samsonova apparently also dabbled in the dark arts. The diary, which set police on the hunt for her past victims, wasn't the only book in her flat. It was found atop a pile of texts on astrology and magic. And not the teen-friendly harry potter kind oh all of this nonsense uh one of our neighbors told the police that the killer was a keen reader of all things occult that in itself isn't the sure sign of a murderer but when someone's this into it it's a pretty solid red flag (laughs) it's like yeah all occult people are murderers i i mean i definitely disagree with that i just think you know it's a bit silly isn't it it's like it's like fantasy but people think it's real I don't know why. It's such a mystery to me. And astrology and all of that bullshit. Why? Stop it. Boomers are impressionable people. After all, the minute they read an Infowars article about 5G towers turning people gay, they're willing to write an angry letter to their local council. Oh, I made a video the other day about 5G. Uh, It was like the best 5G conspiracy theories, obviously tongue in cheek. And some of them are so ridiculous. 5G causes COVID. 5G causes brain tumours. I decided that the best path might be to start an anti-conspiracy theory, saying, like, 5G cures cancer, and this is because this would be the only way to fight it. Who knows what havoc Beelzebub could wreak if he started taking out Facebook ads. I mean, he certainly got good mileage out of Sampsonova. Judging by the contents of the diary, the police judged that she must have been actively murdering for at least two decades. Some of the killings were easier to verify than others. For example, when the cops flicked through her spell books, they found that some pages had been ripped out. As it happened, one of the missing pages was an exact match for a leaf found on a discarded body of an unknown man back in 2003. Can you guess who it is yet? Uh, it's probably a husband or one of the early lodgers would be my guess. Also, again, can you imagine just getting rid of a body and it's like, whoops, I left, uh, left a page of a book on him. Come on, do better. Or don't, so we can more easily catch you, because we don't encourage crimes. Cannibalism I'll come back to that soon. But first, I want to absolutely ruin your day with another fun fact. This doddering old demon didn't just stop at murdering her victims. There's a solid chance that she also had a bit of a nibble on them as well. Oh, God, why, Grandma? Why? Come on! Yes, although it's not been conclusively proven, the police suspected that Samsonova may have had some cannibalistic tendencies. We already know that she bowled the head and hands of Ulanova ostensibly for the sake of concealing the victim's identity. Why, though, would she have gone to all the trouble of cutting out the victim's lungs? I don 't know because she's schizophrenic, maybe It's thought that those were in the saucepan along with the head, cooking them would do nothing to hide the victim's identity, so many believed that she had done this for the sake of eating parts of them. This isn't baseless speculation either. Her diary also made repeated references to cannibalism according to the police. Ah oh, it reminds me of that uh what's that TV show with Hannibal? It's like based on Hannibal. maybe it's actually called Hannibal, where he has those recipe cards for like making things out of people. It's so, like no. <laughs> It's never been outright confirmed beyond all doubt that Samsonova had a taste for human flesh, but in the absence of any clear physical evidence, we have the next best thing. The woman herself admitted to doing it, just like it said in her diary. I'd say that's pretty solid if she wrote it down, she was doing it at the time, and then later said, yes, I did what I wrote down. Why would we disbelieve her? In those pages, she suggested that she would eat parts of the lungs, legs, and even the heads of her victims before disposing of the rest. You best try and shift that image out of your head before next Sunday's roast at your Nan's house. Andre Chikatilo. As for how a little old lady even became exposed to all this mutilation and cannibalism in the first place, one of her neighbors thought she might have the answer. Marina Krivakenko lived right next door to the killer, and she told the papers that Samsonova was fascinated with the story of another violent maniac who terrorized the Soviet Union several decades earlier, Andrei Chikolito, the Butcher of Rostov. Apparently, St. Petersburg's OAP serial killer had been collecting information about this violent rapist and murderer and how he went about his crimes as a result. Some of the Russian papers even dubbed her a female version of that retro serial killer. To understand her fixation and how it might have influenced her own murders, it's worth taking a short detour into that historical case be warned though things are gonna get rough callum i feel like throughout this script it's like things are gonna be horrible and then they proceed to get horrible and then he's like get ready for them to be more horrible and then they get more horrible i'm just concerned there are five or six pages left and you keep saying it's getting worse I mean, she was eating the lungs of her victims and eating their head flesh. What's going to be worse than that? Born in Ukraine in 1936, Chikolito spent his early years suffering from the famine which had swept over the country on account of Stalin's collectivist agriculture reforms. The young Ukrainian and his family often had to resort to eating grass just to put something in their stomachs. Sorry, undergrads, communism sucks. Yes, uh, my opinion of communism is not a high one, and it's like everyone I know... Like, I live in a country which used to be communist. If you don't know, if you're new to the show, I live in Prague in the Czech Republic. Nobody here likes communism. Uh, people I know in the UK and Americans I know, people who grew up and never had communism in their country, they're all like, oh, that sounds good. That sounds good. Once you've actually had it, you realize it's a piece of s**t. If you're watching on YouTube feel free to smash that dislike button. His mother even told the boy that once he had an older brother, who was kidnapped and eaten by some of their neighbors before he was born, good lord although that story has never been confirmed. Throughout the war and German occupation, things only got worse. Chicalito had to witness all kinds of horrors, including possibly the sexual assault of his own mother by Nazi soldiers. If you need an origin story for serial killer, that basically checks all of the boxes. Chicolito would go on to spread the same kind of terrible violence throughout the USSR for the rest of his days. At the start of his teaching career, he was forced to quit his first two jobs after reports that he had been assaulting female students. Chronically impotent, Chicolito had always had severe sexual insecurities, which became a key part of his motivations for murder. Usually he would attempt to sexually assault his victims and fly into a murderous rage when unsuccessful. It was 1978 when he did this for the first time. Another local sex offender ended up facing firing squad for the killing, leaving Chicolito free to embark on an extensive spree that would leave dozens dead. Why are we talking so much about this Chicolito guy, and what does this have to do with our granny killer? She's not sexually assaulting anyone, is she? I mean, I hope not. I don't know how. I won't go into each murder one by one because you don't need that in your life right now. Too true, Callum. And quite frankly, there's not really enough time. All we need to know for now is that his brutality only increased with each killing. He bit pieces from his victims, cut out their organs, and removed their eyes in the superstitious belief they would capture his image in their dying moments. Doesn't that happen in a film? And they cut out the eyeballs and they use like, a projector to look at what the last person looked out, looked at. And I remember seeing that film, I think I was a kid, and I was like, that's not real, is it? It's definitely not real. It wasn't until 1990 that he was finally caught, when a mass surveillance operation was launched to ensnare him. He was spotted attempting to coerce children into following him, and finally arrested on the 20th of November, while trying to draw potential victims in with a jar of beer. Chicolito confessed to all of the murders linked to the manhunt, 56 in total, bloody hell. Providing insider knowledge of most. He told police that he had found the struggling and muffled cries of his victims relaxing, the psychopath's equivalent of whale song, I guess. Oh no. He also admitted to eating parts of the victims in some instances, including their tongues and reproductive organs. That is that is grim. In the end, the butcher of Rostov was successfully convicted of 52 killings, with nine later appealed for lack of proofs. Still, the total of 43 was more than enough to secure a death sentence, and with a pistol tucked behind his ear, he was executed with a single shot on the 14th of February, 1994. We could go even deeper into this story with a full episode, but Christ, it'd be a heavy one. Yeah, let us know um, if you do want to cover that. I mean, maybe by then I'll have built up my tolerance to these a little bit more. I have to say, I do, I don't know why, but I do find it easier to record these myself than to listen to them. Like, when I listen to other true crime podcasts or like watch it on YouTube, I'm always like, this is way more brutal. But I think that might just be because I'm kind of like distancing myself from it a little bit when I read it myself, but... Yeah, don't know why. For now, we can move on back to the case of the Granny Ripper. The disturbed pensioner undeniably had some echoes of Chicaquito in her modus operandi. The act of cutting out the organs from the victims, for example, was potentially borrowed from her gruesome idol. As was the extent to which she defaced the corpses of her victims. Oh, and there's also the touch of cannibalism, of course. Like, why did she cannibalize people? Ah, oh, just because she really liked this guy who did as well. That is, that is a terrible reason to be a cannibal. There are plenty of differences between them, though. Chigalito, for example, only made a cursory attempt to hide the bodies of his victims, and took a manic pleasure out of murdering them in a frenzy. Samsonova, on the other hand, was relatively careful to fly under the radar and cut up her victims' bodies so they would be extremely difficult to piece back together and identify. Still, given her fascination, one has to wonder that when Samsonova spoke of a maniac upstairs forcing her to kill, was she making a coded reference to her mental health issues, or did this mean something a bit more literal? to her. There's no hard evidence to show just how far her obsession with the butcher went, but given her mental state and apparent interest in this story, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to speculate that he might have played at least a small part in her psychotic delusions. The Extent of Her Crimes As I mentioned, Chicolito managed to kill over 50 victims before his capture. But how about Samsonova? Was she ever able to match the awfulness of her idol? I mean, unless there's a lot that Callum hasn't mentioned. She only murdered a few of her lodge. Although we said there were a lot of lodgers, right? So... Well, let's find out, shall we? Both of them certainly got a similar treatment in the media for sure. While the Soviet-era slasher was called an evil vampire, Samsonova was nicknamed Baba Yaga, a forest-dwelling creature from old Slavic folklore which has the form of a haggard old woman. In some versions, the monster is said to trick people into trusting her before killing and eating them. As sensationalist as that nickname is, I have to admit it is not a bad fit. Samsonova did tend to target people who she had managed to draw into her confidence and, in many instances, her home. I'm sure you've already made a good guess as to who a couple of her victims were. Indeed we have, Callum. A diary entry from 2003 revealed that she had killed one of her earliest lodgers, whose then unidentified torso and limbs had been found with pages from an occult book resting on top. The remains could now be identified because Samsonova had written about his distinctive shoulder tattoo in previous diary entries. It was Sergei Partonin, her second known lodger. She had poisoned his borscht with nitrazepam. Those with a keen memory will remember that this wasn't the first man to make Make a speedy disappearance from Samsonova's life. That was her husband, wasn't it? First, her husband went missing back in 2000, and although the diary didn't conclusively reveal his fate, it suspected that he met a similar end to Sergei. After that, there was Vladimir, the first lodger. When the police went searching for him, they got a pleasant surprise. He turned up safe and sound to aid police in the investigation. That guy got away. That's lucky. He told them that he and Samsonova had shared a personal relationship throughout the summer and autumn, but he decided to break it off. That was the subject of the argument I mentioned before. Not long after, he was admitted to hospital with poisoning symptoms and decided to get as far away from his landlady as possible. Also, she tried to kill him. She just didn't use enough poison i guess she didn't make that mistake again well we know she didn't because the second one died judging by the diary vlad wasn't the only one with that name to take up residence with the granny ripper and the other wasn't so lucky one of the entries reads i killed my tenant volodya short for vladimir i cut him to pieces in the bathroom with a knife put the pieces of his body in plastic bags and then threw them away in different parts of the frezense district i I mean we often return to this on casual criminalist but don't write down your crimes. Come on. If we take the whole book at its word, then many of the others who set up in the Baba Yaga's spare room throughout the years met the same fate as Vlad II. Some believe that she drew in her male victims using her sexuality, enticing younger men to come and live with her before ending their lives. Wasn't she quite old? She was, in, she was retired. Wasn't she in her 50s and 60s? I mean, not that 50 and 60 year olds can't be attractive, but it's not exactly what you would imagine in your mind, right? Her neighbor, Krivenko, backs up this narrative. She reported that the elderly killer had been a good-looking woman in her day and that she often sat on the windowsill of her apartment, topless, showing off with her back to the street. She noted how men came and went from the apartments after just a few weeks or months. Nobody really thought anything of it. For example, a man named Alexander Barashev was a resident there for just one week before he went missing without a trace. Samsonova confessed to killing him shortly after her arrest, before quickly retracting her story. She told the officers, I was just joking. (laughs) Hilarious. It wasn't just her neighbours who came to give evidence against her. One of her old classmates named Anna Battalina told police that Samsonova had once boasted about killing her mother-in-law too. She never came forward out of fear of the woman who once threatened to cut her up and feed her to her dogs. Bloody hell. And again, I mean, I feel like there's the, you know, rule number one, which we learn on Casual Criminalist, is criminals don't write down your crimes because you often do. It's a mistake. Rule number two, don't boast about your crimes. (laughs) So that's a lot of information, a lot of hearsay, a lot of different angles. So how about some cold, hard statistics instead? Well, all in all, based on the diary and witness testimony, Samsonova was under suspicion for at least 11 murders. If we include the other unsolved cases, in which body parts were strewn around St. Petersburg in the same style, the number might actually be closer to 21. In the majority of the cases, she's thought to have followed the same brutal methodology, immobilizing her victims with drugs before cutting them up while still alive. to think of a worse way to go, in my opinion. It's worth noting only a handful of the deaths had enough evidence around them to bring official charges, and none of them have been tested in court as of yet. Unless the perpetrator is one day deemed fit to stand trial, they probably never will be. Where Is She Now? For now, though, Sampsonova is enjoying her retirement in a psychiatric ward. After cheerfully asking to be punished for her crimes, she was carted away for a court-ordered psychiatric evaluation. Yeah, something's not right with her. I mean, she is a schizophrenic, right? So does that mean you're not fit to stand trial? I guess not. But then you shouldn't be leaving the mental institution. On November the 26th, 2015, it was concluded that she should be confined to Kazan Psychiatric Hospital while the investigation was taking place. It was there that her paranoid schizophrenia was officially diagnosed. The Soviet-era building was one of the favorite dumping grounds for Leventry Beria, the vicious police chief of Joseph Stalin's regime. I've actually made—I uh, have another channel called Biographics, where we do biographies of notable people from history and the present day—and uh, we did a video about Leventry Beria. He was a horrible person. And we've also done a video about Joseph Stalin. And USSR videos are really popular, so we've covered a lot of the kind of bad USSR dudes. Those designated as enemies of the state could find themselves confined within this tightly guarded compound in squalid conditions. I'm hoping they've at least done a bit of redecorating since its gulag days, but at any rate, I'm sure it's not the most pleasant place to stay. Samsonova was only set to remain there until the authorities were ready to take her back to trial in St. Petersburg. However, in 2017, on the advice of her psychiatrists, the judge sentenced her to life in the high security institution. Were a trial to go ahead, much of the prosecution's case would be based on the testimony of a clearly very unstable person and many written records of murders without bodies to match. Instead, it was determined that the best outcome for all was to confine the Valiaga to within those walls for life. So a full trial for the two confirmed murders, Valentina and Sergey, will never likely take place, although that doesn't mean the police have put the case to bed. With Samsonova pushing 74 and many murders potentially connected to her, it's likely that the pieces of her legacy of terror will be getting uncovered long after she's gone. As for the deadly pensioner herself, she believes she's right where she's supposed to be. She's quoted as saying, I have nowhere else to live. I am a very old person, and I put the whole matter to rest deliberately. I have thought 77 times about it, and then decided that I must be in prison. I will die there, and the state will probably bury me. That's a realistic assessment for sure. Wrap Up Given what we already know, it's likely that there are plenty of bloody revelations left unknown in the case of Tamara Samsonova. This was a woman who had no qualms about dismembering living people, dumping pieces of corpses in public places, and probably even consuming parts of a victim's organs. Hers is a case so bizarre that it seems custom-made for over-the-top Daily Mail headlines, such as Black Magic Murder Granny Bingo Buddy's Brains. The Daily Mail is another uh, UK newspaper. Newspaper inverted like in quotes there um it's worse than the sun because it passes itself off as having real whereas the sun is like yeah it's a tabloid you know it's kind of a bit of celebrity gossip with you know four line news articles thrown in the daily mail actually pretends to be a news source and it is a giant piece of in my opinion allegedly But behind all that media sensationalism is the story of a severely disturbed individual. It's up to far more knowledgeable people than me to figure out exactly what drove her to commit such terrible killings. All the rest of us can do is look on in horror and remember that murderers come in all shapes, sizes and ages. So the next time old Doris invites you for a cuppa, run for your life. Dismembered appendices. Number 1. On the night of the Slavic pagan Ivan Kapala festival, a neighbor of Samsonova had spotted pentagrams and strange writing drawn on the back wall of their building. She thought it was some kids pulling a prank, but in retrospect, she realized it might have been the resident occultist. Still, don't get carried away, and remember the real driving force behind this case was schizophrenia, not Satan. Number two. If Samsonova was really inspired by the Butcher of Rostov, she wouldn't be the first. He's basically the poster boy of Slavic psychopaths, named as an inspiration by Moscow's chessboard maniac slayer, an ex-cop in Siberia who killed dozens of victims, a Nazi sympathizing cannibal from Belinsky, and The Beast, another ex-cop who may have murdered as many as 200 women in Ukraine. Good Lord. That's a Wikipedia rabbit hole that you don't want to go down. Agreed. Number three, the hacksaw which Samsonova used to carve up the bodies of all her victims was actually borrowed from her neighbour Marina Krivenko. I doubt she's itching to get it back anytime soon. Remember that the police aren't giving that back. And if your neighbour ever comes to borrow any DIY tools from your shed, be sure to wipe all your fingerprints off first. And we've got a fact-checking note here from Callum. This is a sort of um, appendix, I suppose. This is another one for which the dates are all messed up in many of the English articles. A lot, of, a lot say the husband disappeared in 2005. But as far as I can see, this is a misinterpretation of Russian-language articles which say, over 10 years ago, then specify 2000. Slapdash journalists instead just read it as 10 years ago, 2005, 2010. OK, that makes sense. Thanks. Thanks for the clarification, because people might call that out. And, uh, well, now I don't have to explain it in the comments. The names of the victims are also messed up in many reports. Russian sources show that Vladimir, the first lodger, survived and came back to give a statement. Her diary did mention a Vladimir who she killed, but it cannot be the same one. Tabloids have just linked the two people together and mixed them together with Sergei. Well, I mean, they do have these two very common Russian names, but. Do a little better journalism anyway. This has been an episode of the Casual Criminalist. I (laughs) did you enjoy it? No, Simon. It was absolutely horrific. Well, I do hope you found it interesting. If you did, please do. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit that like button below. If you're not subscribed, you know what to do. Subscribe. If you're listening to this as a podcast, please consider leaving us a review. It does make a difference. It does get this show in front of more people. And that's always a good thing. And thank you for watching.